It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines. A panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Monday. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, based in our studios in San Diego. My partner, John Riley, he's normally positioned out with his opinions from left field. We welcome you to our Monday bonus coverage. Great to have you with us. John, good afternoon. Great sports weekend. Ton of late-breaking stories on a Monday as we kick off our bonus podcast before we start. Introduced to the people that are just joining us on live stream our fans forum segment and how we want them to join our team and become a subscriber. Okay, so yeah, fans out there, you can get involved in Fans Forum. Maybe you have a question, a comment for Hacksaw. Drop it in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. We'll see it here on our screen. We'll get you involved. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You know, Apple Podcasts is pretty much the dominant platform, but Hacksaw is on all of them. You know, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, including on YouTube. So be sure to subscribe there as well. And a reminder, check my website. That's the address right on the top of the screen, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Write on it every day. Ton of different information you don't get a lot of other places. And a reminder because we have now crashed through the 1900 barrier. Yeah. We're trying to get to 2,000 subscribers before we get to the ninth month of our podcast. Feel free to subscribe. Give us a thumbs up. If you can, give us a five star and rate us on Apple. John, I've never seen so many stories with different angles breaking in about a 24-hour span here in sports in San Diego. Yeah, an incredible amount of stuff. I mean, we were about ready to kick this show off about Padres, but now the sports arena is in the news in San Diego. Uh, This story's been on the back burner for a while. I think it's got great significance. That guy has bought 90% control of the construction of the new sports arena, the condo housing, the low economy housing, the development of an entertainment district, a business district, all part of Sports Arena Boulevard. They call it the Midway Sports District. That guy is Stan Kroenke. Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams. Stan Kroenke, entrepreneur. He's the one that built uh, SoFi Stadium. Stan Kroenke owns the Denver Nuggets of the NBA. He owns the Colorado Avalanche. He owns the Pepsi Arena in Denver. He has built facilities around the country. He owns an English Premier League soccer team. He's built facilities in England. The guy is an entrepreneur. This is huge because he is coming in with his group and his wealth And they're going to finance this. This will not come out of the pockets of the taxpayer. He is linked with a group called Zephyr. Zephyr builds big entertainment venues. He's linked with Legends. Legends is a marketing company owned by Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys. He's enormously successful all around the country. He's also linked with another group that does low-cost housing called Chelsea. So we're talking Mm -hmm. about all these power brokers are now together under his flag and the fact that he owns 90% of the company is, is is spectacular. And now this is not going to happen three weeks from Monday. This is down road, down road. But we're going to get a new arena in San Diego. We'll get all the other things on that 49-acre tract of land on Midway that they have to have to make it legal. And, and I think it's just a huge positive step forward. And isn't it weird The guy that owns the Rams has come in to San Diego and done what the guy who owned the Chargers refused to do when (laughs) Dean Spanos hauled our NFL franchise out of here and took it to Los Angeles. By the way, Spanos is a tenant in Kroenke's NFL stadium. I think it's great news for San Diego, but boy, there's a weird, weird irony there. Yeah, this is great news. I mean... We've been wanting to see that sports arena, you know, transformed. I remember in the 75 NCAA Final Four, it was there, and John Wooden called it a dump back then. And this is what, 30, no, wait, 50 years later. Oh, my God. Um, But my question to you, Hacksaw, is that my understanding was is that the arena that they were planning on putting in, you know, before Kroenke got involved, was only like about 15,000, 16,000 seats, not really an NBA or NHL style arena. I tend to think that Kroenke's people will come in with their own creative juice and they will redo what they think is the viable aspect for the sports arena. 
I don't know what it means in terms of size, <coughs> what it means in terms of cost, but this will have a cronky touch to it. You know, and I know the next question out there will be, are we getting an NBA team? Can yeah. we get an NHL team? At this point, I think not because we're in Southern California, next door neighbors to where all the wealth is and where all those teams are. And I don't think the leagues want to put another franchise here in San Diego, even though our market continues to grow. But that's John, that's way down road. That's not like three weeks from Monday. So I wouldn't worry about that. The most important facet is that man with all of his experience and all of his Walmart wealth, mm-hmm. that man is going to fund this thing for the city of San Diego. So does that mean we should all become Rams fans? <laughs> well, I think we always were rooting for like some big billionaire to roll in. That's who we were thought was going to be able to save the Chargers. But, you know, even getting that arena, even if you don't necessarily get an NBA or NHL franchise, that's still a huge asset for the community, for not only for sports, but for concerts and other forms of entertainment. I mean, our arena in San Diego is just the pits. Well, back in the day when it was built, and it was built in the 60s, it was a mini Great Western Forum. Remember Jack Kent Cook yeah. built the home of the Lakers. Well, this one looks like it, but it was much smaller because San Diego was a smaller market. They've renovated it. It's gone through ownership changes, etc. It's run well, but it, it's got a lot of miles on it. So uh, that that's history. I don't care what this man's going to do for <laughs> San Diego. I, I just think is spectacular. Yeah. Okay, on we go. Next topic on the table. Are you sure you really want to talk about this? You know, just when I thought things were going well, that game on Sunday with the rain delay and everything else, that was a disaster. Oh, they've had some really appalling losses this season. And that might rank right up there with some of the other really bad ones. And we're only in June. We still got a ton of games to play. I wish I had an answer. I don't for Padre fans. I am surprised nobody has blown their lid in this town yet at Padre Baseball. Padre Baseball, which is in fourth place in the National League West. Padre Baseball, which is sub-500 still. Padre Baseball, which has lost 18 games to bad teams this year already. It's only June. (laughs) Uh, Padre Baseball, you can find all their offensive statistics in the lower quadrant on ESPN.com. Batting Hmm. average, slugging average, on-base percentage, OPS, the whole enchilada. There just has been no lashback from the fans yet, aside from the boos, which have started to become commonplace at Petco Park, and I'd never heard that until this year. But it's it's a team, it's it's starting rotation. They've, they've pitched pretty well in the last couple of weeks, and they've wasted a bunch of good starting performances. Really concerned we're in early June, and the bullpen looks badly, badly fatigued, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's anything left at El Paso to call up. It's just not what we expected. And they're nine games out of first place in June. And to me, if you if you get 10 back before the 4th of July, I think you're in real trouble. And the most stunning thing is, who's in first place? Arizona. <laughs> Hard to believe. Yeah. Low-budgeted, rookie-dominated Arizona Diamondbacks are in first place, and the Padres are nine games back of Arizona right now. The other factor, at breakfast this morning, I looked at the standings. I counted eight teams, eight, in front of the Padres fighting for the three wild card spots in the National League. Eight. Wow. So they're going to need some type of red-hot spell here to vault that many teams to get themselves back in the playoff race. Now, we've got a lot of games to be played. But I'm sorry. You're cheerleading in left field, and I can hear you all the time. (laughs) And what makes you believe that they're going to be different three weeks from today than what we're seeing in the last three weeks or the last 10 weeks of the baseball season? It's just just mind-boggling. They have not been able to put this thing together. You know, they, they haven't won more than three in a row. And so I thought that the Sunday was going to be the fourth in a row. That failed. They haven't won a series of at least three games or more. I mean, they need to get, you know, it's like that that movie Major Leagues is, you know, you if you win two, that's two in a row. If you win three, that's a winning streak. They need a winning streak, you know, of like five, six games to get rolling. But uh, it's just, 
you know, Snell pitched such a great game on Sunday, and you hated to see it, you know, the, the bullpen blow it. I mean, Garcia comes up, gives up the two-run bomb, and what a disaster. But still, the hitting, you've got to score more than four runs if you're in Colorado. Yeah, it's a big, big issue. By the way, speaking of big issues, we'll just step off the track here. Dodgers got big issues. Boy, are they on a bad tailspin, and they're hitting a ton of home runs, and their batting averages have gone up. But they can't keep pitchers healthy. They've got so many issues physically in the starting rotation. And the bullpen has just utterly fallen apart. And they have to keep using them because there's nobody else left. Uh, I've gone through the fact the Dodgers have had seven pitching injuries already in April, May. And here we are on the 1st of June. You know, and obviously the catastrophic one was to Dustin May and then the setback to Walker Bueller. And now Julio Urias gets hurt again and he's staying on the DL. He's not coming back. And the bullpen is terrible. Dodger team ERA is 4.43. Wow. That's the third worst in the National League. And the Dodger bullpen, as we had talked about last week, in one 12-game stretch, and the bullpen has now lost 13 games for them. In a, in that 12-game stretch, their bullpen had a 9.23 ERA. So they've got all types of problems. Now, they have wow. a way out because they've got a lot of assets they could use in the farm system to maybe make a trade. And whether that's to go get Zach Grenke of Kansas City, who might be a, a valuable third or fourth piece in the rotation, or Araldus Chapman, who's having a big bounce back year with the Royals, and the Royals are totally out of it. The Dodgers have the wherewithal, and they have the cap space to make a deal if they're willing to trade one of their young prospects, whether that's a pitcher at Oklahoma City or one of it's the young bats they've got in the system to go get an arm. The Padres, I don't think, John, have any resources to use at the major league level do you want them to trade Jackson Merrill or one of the other really lower-level prospects? And is Peter Seidler willing to take on any more salary considering he is up against uh, a third luxury tax violation? So Dodgers might have a solution. I don't think the pottery solution is it has to come from within. Well, you got big game Bob coming back, Robert Suarez, right? So when he and he makes a huge difference when he comes back. But, you know, you got these other guys like Tapia, you know, is kind of bouncing back and forth between El Paso. Once they get everyone healthy, I mean, well, is Pomerantz coming back or do we we just need to cut bait on that guy? Well, they're not going to release him because that'd be the cruel thing to do. But I don't know that we'll ever see him pitch again in, in a Padre uniform. It's the final year of a contract and he's been hurt much more than he's been on the mound. So I don't think that's possible. But the solution to me has to come from that batting order. Oh, clearly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hitting problem with San Diego. You know, as far as the Dodgers go, Historically, they've always had a great bullpen. I remember Blake Trinan. I mean, he was always a solid seventh, eighth inning guy. I mean, is he still? He broke down as well. So surgeries. All these guys, you know. So um, yeah, the Dodgers are having a tough go. And meanwhile, Corbin Carroll and the Diamondbacks are just lighting the world on fire. Yeah, their pitching has been really impressive. Their batting order, led by Cattell Marte and a really bunch of young guys, and Carroll, likely Rookie of the Year candidate. Now, there's a lot of baseball to be played. Only time will tell while the Arizona can continue of this pace, but there's a lot of baseball to be played, and the Padres and Dodgers have to solve their problems, and there are a lot of problems with both those teams right now. On we go. Let's move to the next topic on the table. Okay, yeah, like a lot of trade rumors here still with the Lakers and Mavericks. We are two weeks out from the NBA draft. We're probably a week away from the beginning of trades, and now the big debate, the Lakers situation. The Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks, the Lakers, the Phoenix Suns. Is there a transaction coming? Everybody in the NBA is of the opinion, yes. Now, the biggest rumor was Kyrie Irving, Dallas, trying to preach to the Mavericks, make a sign-and-trade to get LeBron James out of L.A. and let him come and play here with Luka Doncic and me. (laughs) I just don't see that happening. However, I think where there's smoke, there must be some fire causing that smoke. And if the Lakers are talking to Dallas about LeBron, then the question is, what do they get out of the Mavericks? Because they have to be made whole. Dallas, I was told, would be willing to part with the 10th pick in the first round, would be willing to part with a $9 million trade exception, which the Lakers could use to go get another player, might be willing to trade one of their young guards, a big, big shooter by the name of Josh Green. I think he averaged nine points per game. That's three for one to maybe rent LeBron for a year or two. And then you'd have Kyrie LeBron and Luka Doncic. Uh, would you make that deal? 
If I'm the Lakers? Yes. No, not at all. Unless LeBron told you, I'd like to go win, and I maybe have a better chance to win in Dallas than I do in L.A. Well, if LeBron wants out, you know, you don't want to have a disgruntled guy and keep him here. But, you know, if you're the Lakers, why get rid of the the marquee guy, the all-time scoring champ? You still try to build around him. The question is, is if the Lakers have enough assets to keep building. They may be at the ceiling. And the question is, why would LeBron leave Hollywood? I mean, all those business investments yeah, in the yeah. entertainment world are in that district. Why would you exit? So I don't, I don't know what's fact or fiction, but like I say, there's some smoke out there. And if there is, that means there's fire causing that smoke. So stay tuned for that. Well, Bron- others- Bronny's going to be playing down the street for USC. So LeBron doesn't want to go anywhere. The other story involving the Lakers, I think, has more validity. This dateline is out of Phoenix. Lakers, Suns. Suns are going to get rid of Chris Paul. Either they're going to eat the contract and release him, or they might try to do a sign-and-trade, and they're getting phone calls on the potential of a sign-and-trade. Lakers, I don't think they want D'Angelo Russell back. Oh, yeah, no. How about a sign-and-trade? I'll take Chris Paul's contract, comes to L.A., You take the rights to sign D'Angelo Russell. Now, that wouldn't be an equal trade because CP3 is 38. He's had injuries three straight years. But if I could get Phoenix to throw something else into the pot, you know, maybe it's a future first-round pick. Maybe it's a second-round pick. Maybe it's one of the young players, though I don't think the Suns have very much left to to make trades with because they made so so many deals that wind up getting Kevin Durant. That makes sense if it could be CP3 and D'Angelo Russell's negotiating rights because that gives you another vested veteran who can play, you know, to complement what you've already got in Los Angeles and it rid yourself of D'Angelo Russell, who I thought was terribly disappointing. If it could be that that package, do you like that? I like that a lot, if I'm the Lakers. because Especially since CP3 is a point guard, so he can distribute the ball to AD and LeBron and get the other guys involved. That leadership, I mean, that's, you know, you were always talking about getting that veteran. And I remember you were talking maybe Draymond Green, but CP3 makes a lot of sense. And Draymond Green becomes a free agent in two weeks, and we have not seen any indication coming out of Golden State that they're closing on any type of contract extension with him. So keep that in mind. Now, the other story has to go with the new owner in Phoenix and what he's going to do and what the Phoenix Suns are going to do. And, we're, you know, there's just a lot of rumors in a lot of different places. And, and let's just start about Phoenix. Rumblings are house cleaning. You know, the rumblings are that they're going to get rid of CP3. And now the second rumbling is they are talking to Portland about a trade to send DeAndre Iton to the Trailblazers. Now, I don't know whether that transaction involves Damian Lillard, who has said, if you can't get me better players in Portland so we can win, then maybe you should get me out of here. Mm. Now, that that trade would give Portland an established NBA center. For some reason, there's dissatisfaction with Aiton in Phoenix. He's making mega money, but he's not the dominant guy they thought he would be. Uh, Or the other rumor was if it's not Lillard in a deal for Aiton, it would be Aiton for the third pick in the draft and maybe one of their young wing players, Anthony Simons, who's a really shooter, good shooter. Mm -hmm. That, That trade kind of makes sense to me. Because then Portland would have a veteran, but they'd be given up the young forward, and they'd be given up the third pick in the draft, which is probably going to be a good guard in Scooty Henderson. So fascinating to see what's going on in Phoenix. Your reaction? Um, I'm curious to see what they might do because, you know, Aiden is a big man. He's a five, right? A center. Um, and, you know, you wonder if when they got Kevin Durant, did that change the configuration of the way they do their offense? And maybe they don't need a big man. They might want to have some guys that could create on the edge. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't think I don't think the score parts round pegs fitted in Phoenix post Kevin Durant. So that's that's another interesting story. Uh, third topic is is what's going to happen to James Harden. This is really weird because I have a new coach in Nick Nurse who was just hired from Toronto. Uh, he's going to walk in there, and it's going to be his way in Philadelphia. But he's, he got his players responded to him very well when he was up in Toronto. I was surprised they got booted out of Toronto. Does Harden want to stay and play for Nick Nurse? Does Harden want to opt out? Because he's making 36. He wants 
one more payday. He wants in the 40s to maybe 50. If Harden opts out, does he go to Houston? That's a burning question. Uh, I, I think you know. I think there's another train of thought that maybe Kyrie Irving winds up in Houston also if he can't come to some agreement with Dallas on a mega extension. Does he put himself in, on the table? So now you got you got Harden and you got Kyrie and decisions coming there, mm-hmm. and we got the Chris Paul decision that has to be made. So that that to me it's. A lot of, lot of pieces on the chessboard about to move. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me how these marquee names move around so much. Because remember they had, what was it, the Larry Bird rule or something yeah. that gave the, the teams flexibility to sign and retain their own guys. Over the cap number. Yeah, over the cap. But but now you see all the superstars move around. It's almost like the NBA has more player movement than a lot of the other sports. Stars are running the league. And not necessarily to the good of the league. I mean, the playmakers who've been trade me, trade me right now, <laughs> damn it. Uh, have we had any success with Russell Westbrook, Harden, Kyrie? You seen any success from any of those guys moving place to place to place? He, well, Westbrook kind of had a little bit of a resurrection with the Clippers. Yeah, but that was it. He hadn't done much prior to Correct. that. Correct. So I, fascinating to see. The other topic on the table, and this this is coming out of Memphis. Are they emotionally done with Ja Morant? Would they entertain moving him and his baggage and his posse to another club and, in essence, giving up on this great young talent? That remains to be seen. What, How much farther down the road the Memphis Grizzlies are going to be able to tolerate who this guy is, how he acts on the fact he can't change. It's really interesting because yesterday, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who's going to unload on this kid as soon as the championship playoffs are over, and there will be another suspension. I hear it's going to be 40 games Ooh. and that the union has signed off on 40 games and this whole gun incident but Adam Silver said yesterday at the, the commissioner's press conference that Ja Morant has to do a couple of things. One is the word admittance, that he is wrong. And two, acceptance as to what the league is going to do and mandate to him, whether that's back into counseling or whether that's a half a season suspension. So the commissioner is about to drop the hammer with the union's approval, which is kind of intriguing to me, on John Morant. What a waste of great talent to just continue to put himself in these bad situations. Yeah, I mean, you'd think that if you were Memphis, you'd want to retain this unique talent, this marketable figure. But if he's a lost cause character-wise, you might have to cut bait. But still, you hate to sell low on that guy. I mean, he's such a talent. It would be a mega deal for that type of talent to go somewhere else. But if somebody else willing to think a change of address is going to change who he is off the court, because that's been the issue, is what he does in his private time. Now, there's a certain segment out there, including one of his agents, that said, dude's never been charged. How, how can you fire a guy who's never been charged? Fair point. And here we go. We're going to argue about the Second Amendment now, or you're going to go back to left field. Right to bear arms? Yeah. And then the NBA yeah. has the yeah. NBA is caught in this midstream battle with marketing. Good look for the league, for one of your stars be walking around flashing weapons. Mm-hmm. Tough call. Oh, that That's another sidebar story to watch over the next two weeks. Yeah, it's going to be amazing to see how this all works out. But, you know, the Lakers have, have had success, you know, drawing superstars back to L.A. I wonder if there's a way that John Morant can get his find his way to, to SoCal. Not with a cap. Yeah. Uh, Lakers, Lakers got monster cap problems. And do you really want that on your team? Yeah, that's fair not, point. That's not what the Lakers have been all about for decades upon decades. Okay, before we get to the National Football League, John, remind everybody about Fans Forum. we got slots open here waiting for you to join us on Fans Forum. Get ready to ask a question, make an opinion. Let us know what you think. John, explain Fans Forum for everybody on the live stream on our bonus Monday coverage. Yeah, so um, yeah, you can get involved in the Fans Forum. I see a bunch of guys in there already. Um, Angel and, and Kalani and... Uh, who else is in there? Scott 
and take the fifth. So we'll get you all involved in the fans forum. We do that at the end of Hacksaw's headlines, but you can still drop your hot take, your question, your comment in the live chat on Facebook or YouTube. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And by the way, if you like sports, you need to check my website. And that's the address right on the top on the internet, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. I write on it every day, stuff that you won't get anywhere else. I guarantee you, when you get up in the morning, if you check my website, you'll know every story there is in the world of sports. And a reminder also, we're trying to get to 2,000 subscribers before July 4th. I mean, we've crashed through the 1900 barrier Mm -hmm. and we've done this in eight months. So somebody out there must like us. Hey, (laughs) if you've not done it yet, subscribe. You'll get the bell because we put stuff on the podcast every day of the week. Also, give us a thumbs up. And because John doesn't have any friends out in left field, (laughs) just make sure you give us a five-star rating via Apple. John, let's talk NFL football. Okay, yeah. We're going to talk about those... uh those Charger crushers, the Jacksonville Jaguars, you know, and they've got some interesting decisions to make. I'll tell you, this is a really interesting story that's kind of leaked out. About two weeks ago, and, and we talked about this very briefly, two weeks ago, they confirmed there was a major renovation coming to Jacksonville Stadium. It's going to take them out of that stadium for two years. And the burning question, were they going to play home games? Well, initially, there was a flurry of action that said, hey... Orlando, the Citrus Bowl, which has been renovated. Mm -hmm. How about taking the Jaguars and moving them to Orlando for the two calendar years you can't play at home? So that's out there. Then then there came the theory, well, the NFL is exploring European expansion. What if we took the Jaguars during this two-year window and they become the team that goes into London and they play a full schedule? Now, it would really be hard geographically. The rumor is the league would look at a proposal that the Jaguars would play four home games in a row and NFL teams had come in and travel. Mm-hmm. And then the Jaguars would come here, locate stateside, play four road games in a row while being based maybe at their training facility in Jacksonville. So the London thing is out there as a massive experiment. Would they be a raging financial success if they became the NFL-assigned team to go to Jacksonville. Now, the latest story that just surfaced on Sunday, they are negotiating with Daytona International Speedway about converting the Speedway in late fall into a football stadium. Cool. They have 60,000 seats that would be available on the main straightaway. They could locate the football field just inside pit lane and could even maybe put up <laughs> cool. temp- temporary seats on the other side, maybe push it to 70,000 and play their home games at Daytona International Speedway. Now, it would cost them an enormous amount of money for the reconstruction and to get it NFL ready, but mm-hmm. that just surfaced. So, I don't know, you tell me, Citrus Bowl, which to me is just pack things in the in the, in the the uh, bus and you go to Jacksonville for your home games? Or London, England, which would be a novel experiment in the European marketplace? Or with the good old boys at Daytona? What do you think? (laughs) These are interesting uh, options. I mean, of course, I love the idea of them going to London, you know, or Germany or whom at wherever. I mean, are they still in the AFC South if they're out in Europe? I don't know. But uh, it's intriguing. The, The Daytona idea is interesting. But like you say, that's a ton of money. I mean, that owner is going to make financial decisions in his best interest. And I would imagine if the team went and played in in London, there probably would be subsidies and other things that the league would kick in to incentivize them. So follow the money. Follow the money, we will. And they've, they've got to solve it because at the end of the season, they are, quote, homeless. But obviously, <laughs> there will be places to go. All right, let's talk about college football, John, because we've got developments there that are breaking, too. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about the NIL and the portal and, and all this disruption in college football, college basketball. That guy is Charlie Baker. He's the new executive director. He's the president of the NCAA. He replaced the retiring Mark Emmert, who left behind a mess. The NIL is totally out of control. The transfer portal is beyond control. It's really damaged a lot of football programs. Charlie Baker has started to talk to influential congressmen about bringing a proposal to Congress that they could review and maybe enact legislation. He wants structure in the NIL. 
He wants certification of the programs that each of these universities have created to fund the NIL. He wants a cap on the NIL. He no longer wants this to be the Wild West. He wants agents who are involved with athletes with the NIL to have to be registered. He wants transparency. He wants discipline. He says what we're doing right now does not work. And it's been destructive, and I want to change. But he's got to get congressional involvement to come up with a blueprint that would control it. It makes a lot of sense to me because what we have right now, I think, is the Wild West, and I think it's terrible for sports. And for every Georgia or Alabama that has mega money, there's a Mid-American Conference team, there is a Mountain West Conference team, the smaller Division I programs, the have-nots in the Pac-12, they're all suffering because they can't keep up with what the NIL has -hmm. been allowed to do. So that's a big picture. It's not going to happen in 15 minutes, but he's taken it where Mark Emmert never took it. He's taken it to Congress and said, this is what I think has to change. And I'll guarantee you, if we walk down the street and we went up on the hill at San Diego State or USD, and we talked to their coaches and administrators, they'd probably say the same thing. We need a better structure. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point because the whole world has shifted in college sports. I think, you know, the transfer portal, the NIL is good for the player, but it is extremely disruptive to the uh, the market and the structure of the program of, of the overall sport. The issue I wonder is, is why does it have to go to Congress? I mean, why can't the NCAA make decisions on their own? I think because then it becomes an antitrust thing. It's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And, and the coaches that I've spoken to said Somebody has to do it because we can't control it. It has to come from a structure above, and that structure above is House of Representatives or the Senate or some congressional committee. So we'll keep tabs (laughs) on that story going forward. Okay. We're not done with sports because for every hour that goes by on the clock, there's another angle to the story of what was a lead story this past week, the merger. Uh, it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's this has been lighting up our YouTube channel with comments and responses from the fans. Everyone is interested. Okay, here's the latest because there's a lot of different angles to this PGA LIV merger. Uh, one of them's got to do with the situation involving the players. Another's got to do with the employees. Another's got to do with the creative stuff that they want to do. Another's got to do with the leadership. Let's start, first of all, with Jay Monahan. He's the guy that set this thing in motion by agreeing to negotiate with LIV after LIV made the first contact. Uh, Jay Monahan met with the staffers, everybody that works at the PGA headquarters in Ponte Vedra, Florida, which is a huge number of employees. And he indicated to them, because he continues to take hits about why would you do this blood money, sports washing, etc. Yeah. He told their employees they had to commit $50 million in legal fees if this thing went to antitrust and it would go for years. He said it would drain our coffers. We might not we might cease to exist as the PGA tour because of the money drain. And he said those guys in Saudi Arabia have six hundred and fifty two billion dollars in their public fund. It would not bother them. He said it might end our tour. That's why we decided to do it. And we did it at the right point in time because LIV was hemorrhaging money. Suddenly there were calls, what are you doing with other investments, et cetera, et cetera. So they came to a common ground that I think is going to be good for golf and I think it's been good for the fans. But to get from point A to point B is really nasty. There's an awful lot of crossfire out there. The second unique angle to the story, and we'd mentioned his name last week, Jimmy Dunn, who's a key executive in the PGA, was the point man in negotiations. And people are saying, you sold out. Well, Jimmy Dunn went and did this at the behest of Monaghan because Jimmy Dunn was aware of the financial trauma the road would be traveled if the PGA continued to try to fight this in court. Even if they won, it'd take forever. It might kill the sport. Jimmy Dunn is a mega banker, deal maker, big guy on Wall Street. Nobody knew about the fact he went to Saudi Arabia to meet with those people. 65 of his investment people died in the Twin Towers, wow. the day of the catastrophe. And yet he set his personal angst aside on behalf of the PGA 
and he went and did this negotiations over a four-week window. It's kind of really, really unique. We had talked ex- uh, extensively last week about player loyalty. The guys that stayed behind and refused to take the money, you know, starting with, with Rory McIlroy to Tiger Woods and everybody else, how are they going to be compensated? Because are you going to let these guys who damaged us back in and treat them as equals and friends? Well, Monaghan just announced that the new business arm of the PGA and LIV, with a $3 billion investment they're going to get from LIV, that each of the guys who stayed behind will become an equity partner for take-in profits. They'll get bonus money from the profits and the business entity that PGA and LIV are going to use as they market the sport globally. So that's how they're going to take care of the mm. Rory McIlroy's and the Xander Shoffley's, et cetera. They are going to get bonus money. And the guys who come back, if they come back, will not be allowed to participate in the bonus program. So that's how they're going to take care of the loyalty guys. The guys who left, your name is Brooks Kepka, Your name is DeChambeau. Your name is Phil Mickelson, DJ, Dustin Johnson. You'll have to reapply. And either you will pay an entrance fee to get back into the PGA or you will be fined to get back into the PGA because you violated your tour card because you left. Mm. You left without the freedom to leave. And by the way, you tampered with our players after you left because you came back and you tried to get other guys to jump and go. So it's fascinating what's happened in about a four or five day span since the story first broke last Thursday when we were on the air. Yeah, this is incredible news. I mean, because it makes sense to me that, yeah, you got to kind of make good with the guys that didn't leave. And there might need to be some penalties to, for the LIV guys to come back. I get that. But you know what? Once we get over this and the league starts rolling again, the players, all of them, you know, from the LIV, PGA, all of them are going to be better off. There's going to be more prize money, bigger tournaments, more money going around. In the end, they're going to be fine. But it, it it's just... Interesting to me where business interests and morality clash. And what do you prioritize? And sometimes you can take the high ground, the holier than thou, and say, I'm going to, you know, take the moral cause. But sometimes if that damages you financially, it makes you kind of wonder what is the moral cause? Big, big issue. Uh, And it's not solved yet because there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. And I'm sure there'll be more input from the McElroy's of the world because they were ignored. They were totally bypassed, just like Greg Norman was totally bypassed when this negotiation was going on. So we've not heard the end of it. By the way, sidebar story, Phil Mickelson Mm -hmm. got sued today. Phil Mickelson, as part of the team concept that they play in LIV, you know, you have four-man teams. Mm -hmm. Well, his team was nicknamed the High Flyers. And okay. they had a logo, and they marketed the gear. I don't know if anybody bought it, but <laughs> they were the High Flyers. Trademark infringement. South American Sports Goods Company has used that High Flyers logo for 20 years to sell skateboard gear. Really? Skate, skateboard equipment. Wow. So they've filed a, a violation, trademark violation, against Phil Mickelson for doing this. Mm-hmm. Uh Normally, you would think, John, you and I are forming a business. We're going to come up with a logo and a name. But you have to check and make sure it's not trademarked somewhere else. Yeah, that's due diligence. Did not happen. Well, I was expecting it was going to be a conflict with Dayton. You know, what? aren't they the Flyers as well? Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, these what a dumb move that turned out to be. So Phil Mickelson's got more problems than just not making the cut. Uh, last topic on the table. This is one of the more unique weekends I think we've ever had in the world of sports. Yeah. I mean, I was watching the Canadian Open. I really enjoyed that finish. But yeah, you got a lot of other topics here to go through. Yeah, let's just run through real quickly. Uh, there's been a changing of the guard on the pro tennis tour. Novak Djokovic is one of the last of the Lions, mm-hmm. and he wins the French Open. He wins his 23rd Grand Slam, which now is the all-time greatest of any men on the tour. But there's a changing of the guard because there is no Rafael Nadal. There is no Roger Federer. Serena Williams has retired to motherhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, injuries have wiped out a lot of the great players on the women's side. So we're going through with a whole group of new people that are going to step forward. You know, maybe the next one's going to be Carlos, uh, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, who got blown out in the semifinals by Jokovic. But there's a change in the guard, but Novak was 
Boy, he was determined he was going to win, and he was defiant of the people who booed him because not everybody likes him because of his public stance on vaccines and, mm-hmm. you know, getting himself expelled from, from America and all that. So Jokovic wins in a real dominant fashion. Uh, the, the second one was the Canadian Open. What an unbelievable finish. Now, a lot of the big names did not play because they were prepping to come here to L.A. for the U.S. Open that starts Thursday in Los Angeles. But two Canadians fought for it right at the bitter end. And Nick Taylor sank a 72-foot putt in the rain on the 18th to beat Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah. I mean, it was a spectacular day. And it was odd because on the 18th hole of regulation... Taylor bogeyed it, lost the lead, forcing playoff on the 18th, Mm -hmm. playoff on the 18th, playoff, three playoff holes, and he finally won it. And to to win it in rain, 72-foot putt from the next area code, being a Canadian, holy cow, they went absolutely crazy uh, in Toronto. So, I mean, it was, what a spectacular finish. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to watch that. And Fleetwood had the match in his hands and he just melted down at the very end. I mean, I was, I was, I think he was lucky to kind of hang around as long as he did in the playoff. But yeah, what a, an incredible putt to finish. Soccer. Manchester City wins what they call the treble, which is the triple crown of soccer. They beat Inter Milan. They really stuffed them to win the Champions League. The Champions League is kind of like the Olympics. They they have the Champions League in soccer. They have the Champions League in rugby. They have the Champions League in hockey in Europe, in which you take the champion from every country, and they play off against each other. Mm-hmm. Manchester City finishing what they call the treble because they had won the English Premier League crown already, mm-hmm. and they won the FA Cup already, and they did this. And it's only the second time an English team, Manchester United, was the one decades ago to win the treble. And Pep Guardioli is the brilliant coach. Mm-hmm. They were the, they were the home of the record-setting goal scorer, the Norwegian Early Holland. Uh, now they got a problem because Guardiola has just kind of indicated he might be willing to step aside a year or so from now. He wants to be a coach manager of one of the World Cup sides. And he's going to get a lot of offers once he decides to leave Manchester City. But what a spectacular season for City to win to win the triple crown, if you will, of professional soccer. It's hardly ever been done before. Uh, uh, I think Barcelona did it. I think that Bayern Munich has won it a couple times. Manchester United has won it once. And now City. So we're headed we're headed to the big thing, which is free agency in soccer. To me, so many guys that might potentially move within the next month because the free agent window that they call the transfer portal is is going to open in soccer. But how about Manchester City? What a what a side! What a great team they become! Yeah, that's a huge um, moment for that team for that organization. They flirted with it last year, if I recall. But wow, to close that, that's fabulous. You know, I saw this uh, show it was like um, on ESPN or HBO, and it was a documentary about. Man City, and it took place, I think, like in 2019 or so. Great program, and that Coach Pep is something. He's special. He really is. Last uh, topic on the table. This is really sad. This is bad. This is probably the end of his career. Javier Hernandez, a.k.a. Chicharito from Mexico, a severely torn ligament in his knee, playing for the LA Galaxy. Didn't get hit, didn't collide with anybody, just planted and his knee buckled. And he's completely torn the ligament. Massive reconstructive surgery coming. He's age 35. Don't know if he'll ever play again. And that's that's sad because he was supposed to be the next great superstar to come out of Mexico to play for El Tree. Didn't work out. And then he went to the Galaxy and he had a good year and a half. He's just not been the same explosive goal scorer you would have thought, but just kind of a, a real bad ending to good career. Did not evolve into a great career. It's too bad. And he's age 35. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show you the funniest things, the weirdest things can happen. My daughter blew out her ACL on a basketball court, just made a cut. And that's all it took. And uh, yeah, so it's tragic. Yeah. 
So we got a lot. Tell you what, looking forward to soccer. We're going to talk more soccer because the transfer window is about to open. And there are a collection of big names, notably from the English Premier League, uh, that might be moving teams. So if you're a soccer fan, you stay with us. Uh, you'd like it. would be an awful lot to report. Okay, let's talk fans forum. Who's got opinions? We got answers. I know we do. Yeah, we do. I mean, there's a, there's a ton in here. So uh, let's go with... Um yeah, let's, let's let's go here with Angel Barragon. He says, I see a return of pro basketball to San Diego, only more likely it'll end up being a G League team. Well, you know, that that's a really interesting take, Angel, because I've always thought about that. I mean, the, the NBA G League and, and all the teams now this coming year will have a true G League team. Why would San Diego, even if it's at the at the Pechanga Arena, why would they not have an NBA team? We've had semi-pro teams that kind of filtered in here and were a fiasco and didn't last very long. But, you know, Portland Trailblazers, you have your NBA G League team. Put it in San Diego. I think you draw. You, you get prospects. It's not going to be ridiculous prices. So, yeah, why it hasn't happened already is a little bit surprising to me. But if there is a new arena and there is no... NBA team available, and I don't think there would be. Why not a G League team? Because that's decent quality basketball. Well, yeah, I mean, and Santa Cruz has a G League team. Yeah. Um, Ontario, California has a G League team. I mean, why not San Diego? Okay, I agree with you. Next question. Okay, um, and this is uh, this is from uh, Kalani Revier. He says, "All this promise and the Padres are failing so badly. Underachievers. Um, I'm surprised nobody's blown their lid yet." Now, maybe, I don't know, maybe the media in this town doesn't have the brass to stand up and criticize what the hell's on the field and what's going on in the dugout and what the roster looks like in the clubhouse. Somebody needs to take this stance aside from me. I mean, I'd be barking about the disappointment instead of kumbaya, everything's beautiful. Well, it's not. But I grant you, there's still plenty of time for this thing to come together, but it hasn't come together at this point in time with veteran established guys. It's not like we got some guy, John, from AAA, we're hoping it's going to be a 300 hitter. We've got all these proven commodities that have done this in the past, and collectively, they're not doing it now. I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think the media has lost its brass to stand up and be critical of either not so much Seidler because he's bankrolled this, but but Preller or Melvin or the players. Well, I mean, you you've been critical of of the team, but but you haven't been over the top slamming them on the head. I mean, we've seen a little bit of that from some of the other guys in sports talk here in San Diego, um, but in the end. This just it's not going to make a difference to what actually happens between the lines. And Melvin has got to get, you know, we talk about Suarez. He comes back. That bullpen gets replenished. And then I just got to hope the players, the hitting regresses to the mean. And if they do that, then they're going to be in good shape. But, geez, we've been waiting for so long. Yeah, I mean, we're sitting here now. It's June. So, like I say, the magic number is 10. If you get more than 10 games behind in the pennant race, it's hard to make that up, and it's hard to leapfrog a whole bunch of the guys that are in front of you. And as I said at the start of this uh, bonus podcast, you know, there's eight teams in front of them fighting for three wild card spots. That's yeah. a lot of teams you have to beat, and it's not like these other guys are all going to go on 12 game losing streaks. But I think they're only about three and a half games out of the last wild card spot. So the gap to make up is not much, but when you have to leapfrog, it gets hard. On we go. Next question. On we go. So this is from Manny N. He says So are the rumors of the Pac 12 media deal being complete by this month a good thing for the survival of the conference? Oh, yeah, I think so. Uh, I was told that they are negotiating within this last week what they call the grant of deed, which is part of the TV media contracts. And the grant of deed is you're at Oregon State or you're at Oregon or any of the other members. You will agree to whatever the terms are of the new media deal. And you will not hit any escape button to leave. And once they get that grant of deed from all these schools that will be left behind... Then they'll go forward, they'll sign whatever the deal is, and I don't know if the deal is going to mean $37 million per school per year or $41 million, but they're hopeful that they're going to be able to get, get to that mystical number. And I think once they get to that mystical number, then I think there'll be some expansion th- bids turned out. You know, I don't know where the Big 12 is. They're they're out there in the hinterlands talking to a lot of people, <laughs> whether it was San Diego State. I was told that the Big 12 was on the campus at the University of Memphis last week. And suddenly they're looking 
in different places remember. And that makes sense because Memphis and Cincinnati and Houston, there's a southern quadrant to the Big 12. That kind of makes sense. So it may well be they're not looking at the West Coast very much now because they're looking at somebody else. But uh, yeah, once once the, the grant of deed takes place, then I think this contract, and I, I do think it'll come in the next two weeks, and then we'll we'll see where it goes from that point forward. Isn't it amazing the difference in money between the Power Fives and everyone else? Because forty million a year that these universities are getting. I mean, what do the Aztecs get now from the Mountain West? Three. Three. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous the difference. So. One way or the other, we're hopeful, obviously, the Aztecs are going to get an invitation. But I think a lot of us are still skeptical about the long-term future of the Pac-12. Is it going to dissolve? Is it a, a, a stable conference? No. The president of the University of Arizona said last Friday that he believes every member is committed to stay. So that means those 10 that will be left after the Bruins and Trojans vacate will sign the grant of deed, mm-hmm. and that'll be the foundation of the conference. Okay. And, and then you go from there. Whether whether they go from 10 to 11 or 10 to 12, I don't know. But uh, they gotta get, they got to get the media deal done, and the grant of deed is part of the media deal to get John Riley to commit to stay in the Pac-12. I, I do have one request. I, I'd like to see all of these conferences drop the number on the end of their name. You know, because the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, that none of them match up to that number. So hopefully that'll change too. On we go. More questions here on our Monday bonus podcast. From Emmanuel Nahara, he says, are the Diamondbacks overachieving or is the rest of the NFL West underachieving? Well, Dodgers have been wrecked by injuries to their staff. We laughed about when they went to the Grapefruit Circuit in the Cactus League, the the number of arms they had. Virtually all their kids have been hurt. Those kid pitchers that we were talking about back in March and April have all been dinged up. And then obviously what happened with Dustin May and the setback with Bueller and then what happened to Urias. So, I mean, the injuries have really sidetracked the Dodgers. Uh, In all honesty, the Padres have just grossly underachieved, but there's still plenty of time for those guys to hit back to the norm and be who they were. I don't understand the Giants. I mean, that that's a patchwork quilt roster. Are you kidding me? And the Dodgers are uh, struggling, and the Giants are in freaking third place, and the Padres are fourth. And Colorado's been destroyed by injuries. You know, I felt bad. I looked at that batting order Bud Black put on the field when the Rockies played the Padres. It was like it was the Albuquerque Isotopes batting order. <laughs> you know, he, he just lost Charlie Blackman for six weeks, fractured mm-hmm. hand. He lost Chris Bryant, who's had a third different injury this season. Oh, his, his all-star young infield, Brendan Rogers got hurt very early. Has never returned. Uh, his ace of his pitching staff, Herman Marquez, elbow surgery. It just goes on and on and on up at Coors Field. So the Rockies have just been decimated. Uh, so well, then that other guy, C.J. Crone, that big first baseman. He's where is he? Is he must be hurt too? Yeah, he's got a back issue. He's on the IL. So I mean. Look at, all, look at all those guys that are on the injured list. Look at who he's putting out on the field. How are you supposed to compete with that? And yet, that's what was so galling about the Sunday loss to the Padres. They lost to an Albuquerque AAA roster. Yeah, for with a team with a $253 million payroll. You feel bad for Bud Black because he's a good guy, and he's just you know kind of carrying around you know a, a kind of a damaged bag of goods. On we go. More questions. Bonus Monday podcast here. Okay, let's get some of our social media commenters in the mix here. And, uh, whoop, no, not that one. Let's go here. And this is from Brandon Battle from our Instagram channel, talking about Messi. He says he's another old player at the end of his career looking for one last hurrah. Well, that's been historically, that, I mean, that's a, that's a really good point, Brandon. It's been historically one of the problems with MLS bringing these guys here, whether it was Zoltan, whether it was David Beckham, Guys were coming for a payday so they could party in the States. Uh, Messi can still play, as witnessed by what he did last summer in the World Cup. Granted, he is, I think he's 36 years of age. Uh, but I, I still think he still got goals left in that boot. Uh, and I, I think you, the fact that this is a marketing marvel and the fact that this is a consortium way to pay him the finances that he wanted. I mean, if it was just about money, he would have gone to Saudi Arabia for $386 million. Or if it was just about money, maybe he would have gone back to FC Barcelona, though they have salary cap problems. But the marketing thing with him and Adidas and uh, with Apple TV is kind of unique. Now, I'm just curious, John, because 
I like soccer. I'm one of the, the freaks that gets up at 4.30 in the morning on Saturday so I can watch the English Premier League on my TV because I love that league. But I'm just wondering, does Messi's arrival make a real difference in the perception of MLS soccer on the radar? Or is this just a Miami thing? And okay, he's here. Does it really turn on soccer fan here in America? Yeah, I think in America it does make a difference because Messi, you know, will be coming to San Diego and he's going to be up in L.A. and he's going to be traveling around America. Does it make MLS a more prestigious league? No. I mean, it's still going to be sort of a minor league relative to the leagues in Europe. But this is nothing but good in trying to bring American soccer to higher and higher levels. And at some point, American soccer is going to be right there with the best in the world. All right. There's the answer to that soccer question. Thank you for the corner kick from okay. left field. Go ahead. Here's one from Fat Albert talking about the, the Dodgers bullpen collapse. He says, looks like uh, Urias is still going to be out and Syndergaard is done. Well, I feel really bad for Noah Syndergaard because he's done everything humanly possible to get back on the mound. And he does not have his velocity. And he's got mechanical flaws that he just has not been able to overcome. Um, he's making $13 million on a one-year deal. It kind of looks like a bad investment. But if they, they, they're sending him to Camelback Ranch, extended spring training, and they're going to try to tear down his mechanics and fix his stride, change his release point with the idea they can get the velocity back and the control. But his ERA was, at, when the night they put him on the disabled list last week, his ERA was 7.10. And as hard as he tried, he just has not been able to find any consistency at all. So, And you can't, John, you can't do it during the regular season. You know, you can't make changes in what you're doing yeah. between starts when it's supposed to have bullpen days. You mm -hmm. can't go in there and change your stride, change your release point, change where your body is situated when you go into your windup. That's a, that's a process, repeat process, you know. Rinse so dry, <laughs> you got to do it for days mm -hmm. upon days, and in a major league course of the schedule, you don't have time. So that's why he's back in extended spring training. He'll give it another kick at the can. I mean, he was throwing in the mid nineties in spring training. Uh, he he had two or three or four pretty good outings. He'd only go one or two innings, but that looked like the Thor that was with the New York Mets. Yeah, and this guy has just looked absolutely lost, and he admits. He started video. He can see the difference in the video when he had great seasons with the Mets, what he was doing mechanically, and he's just not been able to repeat it. And I don't know whether he's favoring the shoulder, whether he's favoring the elbow now with his delivery and how the release points, but that's what Camelback Ranch and this experience, he's there now. That's what this is going to be about. It's hard to rebuild your mechanics because it's just the littlest thing. Sometimes it's almost a feeling that they have that allows them to move their hip or their shoulder a certain way. So, yeah, that's something that's going to take time. But, you know, talking about Thor when he was with the Mets, I remember DeGrom and the two of them together. And look what's and, happened to both of them. Both of them. The injuries, they just really suffered. I mean, DeGrom has still been great when he's been healthy. Um, but Syndergaard has really suffered. So it's kind of sad to see what happened to them. But, geez, being a pitcher in Major League Baseball. Some of these guys that are that are durable, that have long careers, like Greg Maddox. I mean, uh, like Nolan Ryan, like Nolan Ryan. I mean, how in the heck did those guys do it? A oh, different era. Variety of pitches back then was really different than the violent force snap action throws that we're getting out of these guys now. On we go. A couple more questions here before we wrap up Bonus Monday. Okay, here's one from Kingsbury. He says, how many hoodies do you have, Hacksaw? Uh, everything I own has got a logo on it. Some that I bought, <laughs> some that I was given as gifts, some that I traded stuff for. Hey, if it's clean, I wear it. <laughs> A.K.A. my alma mater, Ohio University, Bobcats. So John's the same way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you've got a ton of gear. I mean, because like a couple of weeks ago, you rolled in with one of those Seahawks windbreakers. That was pretty cool, you know, from back in your day broadcasting for Seattle. So, um, yeah, it's part of the fun of sports. So uh, you're going to become my fashion editor? Is that what you're telling me here, Kingsbury? <laughs> Thank you for participating in Fans Forum. One more. One more. Okay, let's go here. This is from Steve Robertson talking about the players' reaction to the merger in golf. The entire sport is now morally bankrupt. In the words of the great Bob Dylan, power and greed and corruptible seed seems to all that there is. It's probably got a shred of truth to it, but it's sports. We enjoy the events. I guarantee you 
Global golf is going to be fun to watch. I'm fascinated to see the creative aspect of what they're going to do with the merger with the LIV vis-a-vis Europe. I mean, we do have the British Open, which is significant. And there's such great history in England and Scotland and Ireland to the Open. It goes back to 18, I want to say 1853. However, if you plant the PGA flag in another major market... You do it in Paris. You do it with some unique event in Berlin. You do it in Barcelona. You do it in Morocco. Mm-hmm. I mean, it becomes a mega financial event, and it'll be good golf. Now, whether whether they come up with the idea, we're going to do these special events with LIV working with us in the team concept, and it'd be that would be the event that week on the tour. They would go play in Paris, and it's some type of global team competition. I, I think that'd be kind of interesting. I'm turned off by the team concept. I like metal play. I like the way the tour is right now and what we just saw in Toronto at Glen Abbey in Canada, which was fascinating. But I'm looking to see what the business opportunities, because the, they'll be putting their flag in lots of new areas. So I'm excited. I'm excited, too, because I think having a global sport, I mean, golf can do this. American football cannot. A lot of other sports cannot do this. Golf can. But yeah, the team concept's kind of weird. It's almost like, remember back in the day we had uh, team tennis in America? And that didn't really seem to catch on because these are individualized sports. So let's see what develops. But in the end, I agree with you. I think the sport's going to be better off. I have a tough time, though, putting aside the fact, blood money, sports washing, that really bothers me. It's an American thing. Uh, We'll see where it goes. Hey, listen, we hope you've enjoyed our Monday bonus podcast. We cover a lot of topics on the table. We take this thing all over the place. (laughs) We want you to share. We want you to text, email, tell your friends on whatever social media you use about Hacksaw's Headlines podcast on Thursday and our bonus podcast on Monday. And, of course, about my website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. You get a chance. Give us a thumbs up. You get a chance. Hey, we have no pride. We'll take a five-star rating. And by the way, we're trying to push this thing to the 2,000 mark in terms of followers. We're at over 1,900 followers in eight months. It's your fault. So if you've yet to subscribe, John wants you to do that because he wants to come out of left field, be able to do this with me in the studio more often. Hey, listen, thanks for being with us, John. Have yourself a great sports week. We'll yell at you come Thursday. Looking forward to it, Lee. Thanks for being with us on Hacksaw's Headlines. Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.